0: Hello, hello, hello. It's me, Sumit Bose, back with the Net Hero Podcast. Uh, Back after a couple of weeks because we've been busy. Hopefully you've seen it, hopefully you were there. The Big Zero Show, our inaugural show, uh, took place last week and what a success it was. I wanna thank you first for everyone who made the effort to come during uh, the train strikes, which didn't help when you're trying to organize the Net Zero Conference. the people have to drive but hey uh thank you to the more than 700 that's right more than 700 people that turned up which is incredible for our first event and a big thanks to all of the speakers sponsors delegates people who helped out and of course the entire future net zero team we really think that the event was a great one and we've got lots of content from it. So if you didn't manage to turn up, just keep looking at futurenetzero.com and you'll start to get all of the sessions you missed. So brilliant stuff. I want to look in this podcast really a little bit about kind of the things that came up, the flavors of the day and what sort of happened and where we are now. We're looking at kind of, you know, net zero in the state of this, this sort of, crisis, I, mean, I hate using the word crisis, but we are in a crisis of, 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 of big sorts when it comes to the economy and energy. So at the beginning of the day, we played a film that we put together, which you look back over the last 12 months, and it, it really shocked me if you just suddenly think, you know, go back to the summer of last year, the things that have happened since then. You've had, uh, obviously, you had the petrol crisis that happened because... There was a rumor that we were running out of tankers. You had build up to COP. You had the collapse of all of the energy companies as the gas markets went ballistic. You then had the invasion, the brutal invasion by Russia of Ukraine and what that's done to the world, energy markets. The cost of living crisis, uh, more and more uh, speculation about where we can get our energy from, the massive hike in the price of the uh, the price cap for energy from Ofgem, and then strategy upon strategy from the government, bailout from bailout from the government, and then inflation at possibly nine, nearly 10%. So it's been a tumultuous year. But through it all, as we spoke to delegates, we got a real feeling for the fact that even though all of this is going on, well, of course, the people who came to this, event would still believe in net zero and I hope you all believe in net zero because it makes it fundamentally more important as we try and cope with the chaos that's happening with market fluctuations it shows you energy security is more important it shows you that moving away from fossil fuels is more important and if we have to have fossil fuels then we've got to make sure that we're getting them from the right sources and not evil dictatorships I spent the day meeting people we had lots and lots of great conversations and there were some brilliant stands with many many different people from different sectors which was wonderful you know not just people from the energy sector but people from agriculture and they people from the food industry from the timber industry uh, people who were in pharmaceuticals people who were in uh, different kinds of areas around the whole kind of sustainability picture and I also interviewed some sort of major figures from the world of energy and sustainability, and one of the first conversations I had looked at this whole issue of, of, of you know, where we are with gas, and um, we had quite a few of the major companies there that some would say shouldn't have been at a net zero conference. We had Shell Energy there, we had British Gas, Centrica, and we had Total Energies. And I spoke to Mark Rose, the MD of Total Energies, and, and I put to him that you know. This is a point that, you know, why is a company like Total, which has recently rebranded, you know, here, and aren't oil and gas companies, as many critics would say, why aren't they the problem? Aren't they the reason for all of this? And that's what's going on. And, And we had a decent discussion about what this transition means for the oil and gas majors.
1: Well, it's interesting, isn't it? There are many businesses in the energy sector that could be accused of being old traditional energy businesses. My personal view is that we might well be a business of the past, but we are very committed to being a business of the future. Hence the rebranding, hence somewhere in the region of $4 billion of investment in renewable technology uh, going forward with some really aggressive targets such as 100 gigawatts of installed capacity by 2030. Uh, We've already got five gigawatts of installed capacity being developed and implemented in the UK. That's okay, that's come from the earnings that we've made from our legacy. But actually, by 2050, how big is the old fossil fuel business is going to be? And we want to be sustainable. We're not going to be sustainable if we, um, if we stick to what we've done in the past. We have been rated, Total Energy has been rated one of the most developed, most sustainable of the oil majors going forward in an independent study. And also, um, we've made really broad commitments about the customer numbers we want. You know, we want to have you know, north of 8 million customers across Europe by 2025. There aren't that many other suppliers making commitments about growing customer numbers. Uh, we're already sizable in the UK. We have number one to gas supply in the INC market. We're number three in power. Uh, you know, One of the reasons for being at the event today is we've got a lot of customers, a lot of partners, a lot of public buying organizations we supply, and we want to be there to support them through tough times, but over the long term as well.
0: Mark Rose there from Total Energies. No one can deny this is a really tough time. And a lot of conversations were had about kind of what does this mean? Because with many of the businesses there, you know, we had 700 people there and we had so many different sectors uh, represented there. And there was one common theme, which is tough. It's really tough. Uh, You know, tough beyond tough in terms of how people are trying to, Keep their businesses afloat. The effect of the cost of living crisis on all prices—you know, when you see it in the shops. You can see it in everything that's going on in terms of the cost of raw materials. And you know, we had eighty-two different sectors uh, attending, right? So eighty-two different kinds of sectors—everything from define, uh, you know, design and defense and childcare to energy storage, food and drink—and that unifying thing of how people are going to have to cope right now. And it led to a a conversation which basically went, is this now a really difficult time for people to stick to net zero? Or is it actually, because of all of this, maybe the best time for net zero? Because it means that you cannot continue to use energy the way you use, because you simply can't afford. Right, you can't continue to waste resources the way we've done because we simply can't afford it. And this I picked up with Mark Garner, uh, VP of Distributed Power at Schneider Electric, and he had a very interesting take on why this is now actually perhaps the sweet spot for going towards net zero. If you look at where we are today and you've outlined it, I, I gave a speech at the meeting saying, you could see is this is gloom, doom and gloom, right? You've got the crisis, the war in, in Ukraine, you've got what's going on globally with power. But similar to the early 70s, where the oil crisis triggered change, I sort of outlined a vision that perhaps there can be change because you have to change. You cannot keep consuming and paying the same levels you are. How do you see the current picture for the businesses? And it's brilliant, the turnout today we've had, but it, it is tough. It's tough for everyone.
2: Yeah. Uh, and I, I, made a, I made a comment at the end of my, uh, uh, my, my speech earlier that my biggest concern, my biggest hope is that uh, the economic uncertainty we see at the moment doesn't uh, derail the sustainability agenda. It's, it's a thing that we must not let happen because we have this, this window of opportunity here. You know, um, we, we've been told we need to reduce our, uh, our carbon emissions in order to keep the temperature below 1.5 degrees centigrade. To do so, we've got to reduce emissions by 7.6% year over year to 2030. So not acting today is going to be a huge, a huge challenge. Um, and we have to make sure that that agenda, that that focus remains all the way through to 2030. Every year we delay, the challenge becomes bigger. The interesting thing that, that I see at the moment is um, post pandemic and through the pandemic, it was the first year we saw an energy reduction in terms of uh, carbon emissions. Of course, yeah. Dropped by about 6.4%. There's still quite a delta there, you know, we, we have to reduce energy emissions by, or, or carbon emissions, by 7.6%. Only 6.4% was achieved. And a massive
0: disruption. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Absolutely. And I think this is the biggest challenge that faces us, that you made a comment right at the very start of the day around no one's given up their mobile phones. We've all got a very good standard of living and we all appreciate the standard of living that we have today. Uh, what are the levers that we can pull that allows us to address the challenges, address, address the carbon challenge without disrupting the, the parts of life that, that we all appreciate? I, I, I drew the comparison again, pandemic, uh, that through the pandemic we saw this, this concept of flattening the curve. Yeah. This is what we've got to apply into the, the, into the uh, climate crisis challenge at the moment, that what are the levers that we can pull that, that flattens the curve without disrupting business day-to-day life?
0: Yeah, Mark Garner there, and and his point is very true, and I agree with it. You know, this could be the right time for doing it because in your organisation, you may be sitting there going, God, the costs going up. What do I do? What can I cut that actually we wouldn't have thought of cutting because... We thought, oh, we can always live with that. Let's not worry about that. It makes you look at your business in a strong way. And also the other thing that I think could be really, really useful from all this is that we could find ourselves in a way helping to make the change because now what would have been something you put to the board of the finance department and say, hey, can I invest in this? And they go, oh, I don't know about the payback being that long, three, five years. I'm not sure about that. Well, the financials, now makes sense to say, actually, let's stick some solar on our roof. Let's get the CHD plant because the price of energy is so high. So that could really drive it. So I think that means that even more so, this is the time to act. One of the other things that we discussed also at the event, which I think is becoming more and more prevalent is data because data will be more important for all of us as everything is getting smarter, everything is giving you more data. And we had many sessions looking all at the whole issue of data, data around EVs, data around energy storage. And as I said, you can catch up on all of this on futurenetzero.com. Uh, but one of the companies that was there was Optima Technologies, and Michelle Gara, the CEO there, she and I spoke about where data goes. Because as more and more data comes into the mix for helping you set out what used to be simply just measuring your bills, actually now, Data is being used to drive forward your changes for net zero. And for Michelle, she's seeing a real shift in what not only uh, consumers want that's driving businesses, but also what businesses are gleaning from this technology.
3: Um, Only 7% of businesses globally actually use a software solution to do their data reporting for sustainability, right? Um, and what what's kind of more surprising is that only three percent of them think they're actually getting the right robust data solution so so that's a lot of uh, you know dissatisfaction even in the small sample that are using it um, and so you want to be really confident I mean brands are building sustainability strategies not just for their you know boards and investors who are really important stakeholders but for their customers you know very soon I'm going to want to know what you know yeah. uh, what you know what emissions were used in the making of my um, my wardrobe and I know that because I've got two teenage daughters. <laughs> and they, you know, it's a a fundamental factor in, in their in the way they think about um things. So so the stakes are getting higher um, and our automation and accuracy is pretty unique. So the um that extraction I talked about was a 98% accuracy. Um, and there's about five or six other competitors globally and, and they most of those operate at about 75% accuracy and just about all of them are manual um, or some form of um, you know, manual and uh, automated solution. So that that's our unique sort of position.
0: Michelle Gara there and talking about data. Now, obviously, the climate right now, and I mean the climate uh, in terms of uh, kind of financials, economics, isn't great. But... People are getting on with it. And we had a chat with lots of delegates about what they thought the big challenges were in this this time and period. And what they were doing about it and what their organisations are doing. So here's a taste of some of the thoughts of kind of how to cope with trying to do net zero in the place that we're in right now.
2: Well, I think there's a number of issues they've got um, going from natural gas to electric I think is a challenge because I don't think the infrastructure is there at the moment and it's a bit of a first come first serve basis but also I think the issue is around the current cost of electricity is significantly more than gas I think that has to be factored in um, and I think in general it's the scope three emissions the supply chains that need to be considered and thought about. Um, and understanding those emissions and what their organisations are going to do about that to make it better. I think it has to be a collaborative approach um, with all organisations working with everybody else to achieve those goals.
3: I think it's incredibly challenging. Um, I'm doing a lot of work with customers on scope three emissions and supply chain. Um, And a lot of it is trying to embed it in the culture and making sure that it comes from the top of an organisation and filters all the way through.
2: There's a lot to do and uh, industry does need to work together and collaborate and share lots of insights to hit net zero. Uh, I think the targets we've set as a country are quite challenging
4: but with forums like this hopefully we can achieve those goals.
3: I think the scale of what we have to do and trying to work out how we can like it's such a, a big ambition to me it's how do we you know set that out in terms of steps in terms of small wins that we can do over time i think that's a a big challenger one that we've talked about a lot today well
0: there were some of the voices there and a little taste of what's happened joining me now is our head of carbon partnerships ellis hall who was there the whole day and and i I was just saying ellis you know you look at it and the theme of you could say doom and gloom with all the financials and all the economic despair but you know what did you get a feeling from as as you walk around because i got that feeling as i've said to the listeners here that people are still committed to it. People still want to do the net zero.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I absolutely love the event. Obviously, it's the first event that I've been to with you guys where yeah. I wasn't just a delegate. I was where, where you fighting. weren't
0: just drinking, Ellis.
4: Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, not just, not just that, but actually... This working. Yeah, taking part and having some really, really good conversations. I think what was so great about the event was the commitment from people, and the level of senior managers that, and representatives that were there from these huge global companies, it was it was quite amazing, to be honest. And some of the conversations that I had around reporting or products and technology and how it can support is that everybody was open to learning from somebody else. And it wasn't this, well, we know everything, we're the best. It was, okay, what have you got to be able to tell me to help me on my journey? And how can then I potentially help you? So it felt like everybody was there with the same idea. And there was this overarching sense of commitment that people were going to do something after this. We've heard a lot of talk over the last couple of years, but now we really need to start seeing action. And from that event, you could see the action that was already coming out or Kind of real life case studies of what people were doing. So you do sometimes look at it and think it is a bit doom and gloom and you do hear about these horror stories and things that are going on but to be able to bring people together to show that there was that commitment was really really promising and I guess we've just got to now keep that momentum going. You, you were um,
0: busy, you were very busy having these, um, we, have, we have an area called uh, Net Zero Heroes, and thanks to all the people who took part in that, who were giving sort of one-to-ones, and you were, you were doing some of that. Talk, talk the um, listeners through the kind of things people were asking, because did you find there was general enough knowledge about kind of, the basics of net zero and the scope one, two, and three. What were your conversations like? Were the, were the not, was, was the audience very knowledgeable or was it still, you know, there's still a lot of gaps there to be filled? Which is not a problem, it's not criticism of people there because it's still very new.
4: Yeah, I think there was a lot of great conversations around obviously scope one and scope two that everybody knows where they can start because usually the data comes from an invoice let's say if it's gas or let's say if it's electricity obviously there's more nuances within scope one especially if you're looking at you know fugitive emissions um or like your refrigerants so kind of getting past that there was that initial understanding of scope one and scope two and speaking to some other bigger businesses they obviously mandatory have to report on scope one and two but what was clear was that people are really starting to think about their scope three already a lot of people are doing things uh putting it in practice do especially do want well. to just
0: um clarify for for the listeners who may not know uh, who aren't as technical as what the scope three is because scope one and two is fairly easy like it's directly what you produce and directly what you use but what, what's
4: scope three yeah, so scope three is obviously slightly different. So you've got scope one and two. Scope one is your direct emissions that from, effectively, your combustion on site. So that is your gas. So when you're burning it or the leaks from refrigerants, if you've got fridges or if you've got air conditioning, you have to top it up to ultimately cool down and they can lead, that's your scope one. Scope two is your electricity, as you've quite rightly mentioned. So you purchase electricity. And then scope three makes up pretty much 80, 90, 95% of your emissions. And that is your upstream and downstream activities. So that's everything involved in your supply chain. So if we look at upstream activities, it could be your employee commuting or your business travel, or it could be your purchase goods and services. And your purchase goods and services can go all the way back to the extraction from, let's say, if it is a computer, it might be the extraction of the cobalt or the lithium to kind of make up some of the components within a computer, which is obviously really challenging. And then downstream, it can be your assets, your franchises, your investments or your transportation and distribution. So it's the real end to end from when your product begins to when it effectively gets disposed of at waste. And
0: what was the kind of feeling you got around? Because that's a hell of a challenge. What were people people talking to you about?
4: I think people were ticking off the easy wins. Obviously, it's a great place to start. So people were thinking, right, I can manage employee commuting. What do I need to do there? I need to engage my employees as best I possibly can to understand how they're traveling and put the appropriate policies in place to support people with, I guess, better transport. Again, with business travel, pushing generally on using public transport as best as they possibly can. Then it got a little bit more challenging when people were thinking about what is the kind of the life cycle of the products that I'm using? So how do I actually calculate when I buy 10 new laptops for the company? How do I, how do I calculate my share? Or if I make up one product, um, to go into another product so let's say i'm upstream and i'm selling a product downstream and it forms part of a larger product then how do i calculate my emissions associated with the end product and we were having some really great conversations about what people can be doing and i guess they were just wanting to find out what is the best approach where should i be making a start and pointing people in the right direction. But what was really great was that a lot of people were already doing this. People are really willing to roll their sleeves up and get stuck in to learn themselves so that they can help the business and help the other businesses around them. And what we found is that people are more bothered about helping their supply chain get to net zero than just trying to choose someone else to work with. Which is, so that which was is really great, which is,
0: which is what you want. Because you can't just lose people who've been good suppliers it's a new field for everyone isn't it i mean that's
4: the whole point yeah absolutely i think don't think anyone knows what the best approach is you look at the different methodologies for reporting on some of your purchase goods let's say and you've got the eio so the environmentally extended input output which focuses on industries as averages effectively because you're not going to get many companies that can really track their products the whole way through the supply chain it's just not realistic for people so it's getting people to think about it, and then over a period of time, the necessary improvements can be made. But it was generally really positive and great to have so many people moving in the right direction.
0: You also spoke, and this is the other thing that we, you know, we had a lot of big companies there. But we also had small companies. We had SMEs. We had collective. And I know you spoke to some people who ran a, a, a small kind of business park in. in barnsley i think it was you know who wanted to do something there were people there who were kind of doing collectives around uh, growing veg who were thinking about this what about smaller businesses and conversations you had there not just in the hero area but you know throughout the day did you get a feeling that you know you know you know we're a SME ourselves of course that you know that that smaller businesses feel they can take part in this
4: yeah uh, of course absolutely i think we forget the important role that smaller businesses actually play in the overall supply chain. Ultimately, if they are at the bottom of the supply chain, they're usually the customers and these big supply chains need those customers. And customers have actually got a lot of influence because our role in business is effectively to create a customer. And if we don't have them, then we don't have much. So these smaller businesses have got a lot of influence if they will obviously work as a collective. But I think SMEs want to be seen to be doing the right thing because they know that consumers make the decisions based on how environmentally friendly a business might be. And I think people are starting to see through the greenwashing side of things. And I think that small companies, as much as it might be challenging, You often get the CEO or the founder really believing in this and they'll be completely committed to doing the right thing because they want to be seen as a leader within their industry. So speaking about the guys in that run the business hub in Barnsley, they've done so much for themselves, but they've got a very little office. They don't do a great deal, but they've got a lot of assets and properties and they have a lot of businesses that come into there. So, for them, it's about their influence on other businesses. What can they actually give back by helping the businesses that they work with and, and surround them? So, they weren't just focusing on themselves, they were taking it one step further. And I think that was what was really great to see from some of the smaller businesses.
0: Uh, what surprised you the most during the day? Apart from the sheer numbers that turned up, as I said at the beginning, even with a train strike, but what surprised
4: you? Yeah, I think that was pretty remarkable getting in a of with <laughs> yeah, so people was. Uh, was quite amazing given everything that that was going on, and it felt really busy. I think one of the good things, and I think what I really like about the whole net zero agenda is the fact that everybody's wanting to work together. It's not become this sort of dogfight of competition anymore, where you need to get one up on your, you know, same industry. It's more about how can people help each other because we're all working in in the same goal businesses are going to continue to operate we can't get rid of that and business is a good thing because it plays a huge role in in achieving net zero but i think the fact that everybody was so open to continuing conversations after the event and seeing where you know there can be i guess mutual partnerships and collaborations to to achieve what's best for everyone i think that was uh yeah really promising and actually it was uh quite good to be honest
0: well, you need to get on your bike, didn't you? You better get on your eco bike and meet all the people you you had
4: chats with. That'll be it. I'm uh, I'm pulling the, the the rusty steed out of the garage, industry, getting it cleaned up, and I'll be uh, cycling around the country to see people.
0: No, that's great, uh, Ellis. And, and and if people want to get in touch with Ellis, then just you know get in touch. Ellis Hall at futurenetzero.com. He'll come and talk to you, give you some uh, tips tips and help you understand that's his job to get out there and offer advice and I know you're gonna be doing some workshops soon aren't you as well to help businesses? is that right we'll we'll publicize those once they're up and running
4: yeah absolutely taking them a little bit further and really helping people understand where their current position is in their supply chain you know what does their carbon actually look like across the board what are the key things to identify in the early stages and kind of putting a plan in place uh, over the next few years and ultimately it's it's better for their business doing so. Excellent. Ellis, thanks a lot for your time today. Cheers soon, mate. Speak soon.
0: So that was a look back at the show. Thank you, as I said, for everyone who came. Do not worry if you could not attend. As I said at the beginning, everything will be on future zero.com We're loading it up. Check our social media feeds. I'd like to thank the entire team for putting on an amazing show and really working uh their socks off to pull it together. Uh, we are back. With the podcast as normal. We've hit 10,000 downloads. Thank you so much, Robert, who produced this with me. Both of us are very grateful for your listening and your support. Please spread the word,
2: and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to net zero and want to be featured on the podcast, Email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media, futurenetzero.com. Better business, better planet.